I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. I've had this passage of Scripture, this one phrase, that's been playing in my head for about the last two weeks. And it's the reading from the Gospel uh, from last week's Sunday Mass. And it's been sticking with me for a couple of weeks because I typically, for doing show prep, and I, I look ahead. I say, what, what are the readings that are coming up? And uh, try to build the show around that. And I really wanted to have a show specifically, completely on this verse. Uh, and the book that I wanted to do it, the author that I wanted to get, uh, was unavailable. And I was kind of holding off and thinking, well, maybe we'll get him in a couple of weeks. But I just now learned that he is in the midst of stuff in London and just really not able to do any U.S. media, much to my uh, chagrin and dismay. But hopefully in the future, we'll have this specific guest on. I'm not going to give anything away just yet. But um, this phrase is from the gospel dealing with Mary and Martha. You're very familiar with it. Mary uh, was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha was doing all the work, and she says, Jesus, make make her get up and help me. Uh, I have children. I'm very familiar with, with this kind of, of expression. And Jesus said to, to Martha, Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. And here we have Mary of Bethany sitting at the feet of Jesus and just being with him, not getting overly involved in what she can do or even what she can do for him, but merely sitting in his presence. And that's really been, I'm not even sure what it is that God is trying to say to me in that, uh, but it's really just been kind of sitting with me. Uh, and I'm sure that the time's going to come where I'll have an epiphany based on this, Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And within that, there is this internal desire to have Christ say about me what he said there about Mary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. And it's my hope that these words, that that phrase that's been sticking with me and repeating over and over again in my head— will will ring now in your ears and color our conversation today. We're going to be talking with Joe Heschmeyer, one of my favorite guests. I love having him on. Uh, he always has some fantastic insight. And we're going to be talking specifically about what do we owe to one another in our conversation? What do we owe to one another in the way that we speak to one another, in our charity, in our uh, and our passion for the truth. What is it that I owe to you and that you owe to me and that together we owe to God in our decorum and our demeanor uh, surrounding our conversations? And I bring this up specifically because, one, we're just about to enter into political season again. And so uh, it always ends up that once we divide ourselves into camps, whatever those camps happen to be, whether they be political whether they be dealing with theology, whenever we find ourselves divided up into camps, we can lose sight of the dignity of the other person and begin treating that other person merely as an idea to be defeated rather than a person uh, who, who bears the image of God, who's made with incomparable dignity, 
and therefore is deserving of compassion and patience and um, decency. And so here we come back to this verse. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken away from her. I, I wonder if, uh, if you and I would take the time to put ourselves in Mary's place, to put ourselves completely surrendered at the feet of Jesus, to listen to what it is that he has to say. Uh, it's really hard to fight from that position. It's really hard to get uh, divided into camps and, and angry at one another from that position, from sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'm reminded of this, uh, this story. So one of the things, and I've talked about it here on the show a couple of times, um, one of the things that we do as a family is we listen to the lives of the saints and we read the rule of St. Benedict uh, at dinner each night. And one of the books that we read was The Life of St. Teresa of Avila, uh, from, uh, f- written by Francis Alice Forbes. And in this biography, this hagiography about her life, one of the things that happens is uh, she is attempting, St. Teresa of Avila, to reform her order, her Carmelite order. And some of the sisters who have been there for a while, they're just really not having it. Well, Long story short, she ends up being placed as the the prioress of this this order, and everyone is just fit to be tied, and they are ready to let her have it because obviously she's being manipulative, and obviously she's just doing this for political gain, and obviously she's just trying to make our lives miserable. And so they go in, and they're all loaded for bear, and they come into the place where they're going to be saying prayers together, and. In, in place of the abbess's chair, what they see is the statue of Mary. And then sitting at the feet of Mary on the floor is St. Teresa of Avila. And it just takes the wind out of their sails. And a lot of times here we are in these, these camps and these, we have these competing ideas. And I think it would behoove us to take that same example of St. Teresa of Avila and to place Christ on the throne, to put ourselves under the watchful eye of the saints, especially Mary, our mother. And if that thing is really worth fighting for, to sit back and to realize that this is not our battle and the person who's across from us and disagreeing with us, they are not our enemy. And to behave in a way uh, that that treats them with the dignity they are owed and honors them as a person. We're going to dig into this topic. It's a touchy one, but now is the time to really look at it head on. We're going to talk about what is it that we owe to one another in our conversations. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Joe Heschmeyer, breaking into this topic a little bit more deeply. Join the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I'd love to have you as a part of that. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. 
And today we're talking with our many-time, long-time guest, Joe Heschmeyer. Always a pleasure to have you on, Joe. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Always a pleasure to be on. So we were we were talking before we started. I, I have followed you on Facebook. I've followed your blog for a long time. Uh, and recently, you you have had a couple of interactions that, that brought to mind just really the way that we interact and the... Uh, the way that we should interact in our disagreements and our discussions online. Uh, there are very few shining lights in the way of internet uh, combox conversations. And you and Deacon Stephen Gradanus and probably Bishop Robert Barron are probably about equal among the top uh, top tier of the appropriate way uh, to handle a disagreement specifically online. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm flattered to be in that, uh, esteemed company. I'm not sure I deserve the accolades, but I definitely try. I mean, I definitely try to, uh, engage in a com box as a Christian. So I'm, I'm sitting here and watching this very contentious, uh, argument play out on your wall. Uh, and, and you keep trying to narrow the, the, um, the topic and say, well, can we, can we look at this and can we at least agree on this point and trying to clarify and narrow it down. And in the midst of this, I'm doing show prep and I come across today's scripture that we're going to dig into a little bit more later of the parable of the wheat and the tares, where Jesus tells this parable of uh, a a wise man. He he seeded his field and the wheat was growing, but an enemy came and uh, also planted weeds among everything. And and the um, the servants came and said, oh, no, what are we going to do? Should we pull up all the weeds? And uh, very to the surprise of everyone, he said, no, leave the weeds where they are, because if you pull up the weeds right now, you might, the, the roots might be entangled with the good seed, or you might mistake a weed, a, a good plant for a weed and pull it unnecessarily. And as I looked at that and I looked at the discussion and how you were handling it, I couldn't help but think of all of the times where we just see something popping up that we don't like and we reach down and we determine that it's a weed and we're determined to pull it up. And I wonder how many times in our online discussion we end up doing damage uh, to another person who could otherwise grow and bear fruit. Yeah, you know, I think that's the right question to ask because I think it's not just that there are um, ideas that we mislabel as as weeds when they're actually wheat. But more importantly, I mean, the primary referent in Matthew 13 there is that there are people, like there are people who might seem to are very fallible, very subjective, very influenceable, if that's a word, uh, perception as, oh, yeah, that person is a horrible person, they're going to hell, da-da-da-da-da. And we don't know the full story. We don't know kind of the journey that they're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the cool things doing, you know, what I do, I, I work for a group called Holy Family School of Faith, and we do a lot of stuff with people uh, meeting one-on-one to kind of form them uh, to grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus and in intentional friendships with others and to empower others to do the same. That's kind of the charism of, of what we do. But it means that I get to see people uh, sometimes in a different way than you would just see from the outside or just kind of like the generic public persona. And it's a good reminder to me that like, there's often like so much more going on uh, 
uh, beneath the surface. To give just one example, this is actually a, an internet uh, example. There was a guy who uh, I used to go back and forth with a little bit uh, on my blog, and he was an atheist, and he started out a little hostile, but he was asking some good questions, so I tried to treat him as charitably as I could. Uh, and then one day he, he emailed me out of the blue and said, uh, it seems like you're praying for me and I think it might be working. And he kind of shared like his, his desire for the Eucharist and, and he never was public about it. And in fact, I don't really know very well what happened to him after that. I tried to follow up some, uh, but I think he still considers himself an atheist or at least considers himself enough of an atheist that he presents that way online. But sometimes people, when they have those kind of, uh, even the seemingly brash, arrogant, bombastic kind of comments, sometimes those are really uh, ways of asking a question when you don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable enough to ask it as a question. I would say very often when we see the bombastic nature, it's it's that uh, protection saying, well, uh, I maybe I don't feel completely competent in this uh, in this answer. Maybe I'm not completely prepared, so I'm going to kind of push a little bit harder and go over the top. Uh, and, and not only is that true in uh, the other people that we're talking to, but very often, and I think we should recognize it in ourselves, uh, we have a greater capacity to lash out at someone when we don't feel uh, secure enough uh, in, in our maybe in our argument, maybe in our ability to uh, convey that, maybe we're frustrated but we lash out when we feel like we're on unstable ground uh, and need a little bit of an upper hand. Absolutely. Like this is, I think seeing it in other people, being able to read behind the scenes, what's probably going on if they're acting like this, that's a good way to realize like, wait, when I'm acting like this, what's going on behind the scenes for me? And do I really want to uh, hold myself up to that same scrutiny? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I think that typically, uh, when people flip out uh, for Jesus, when they, you know, are jerks to present the Catholic case, uh, it often suggests, at least to an outside observer, that either they don't feel like they know it well enough to have uh, a good discussion. So they'll, you know, they'll kind of shut down the conversation or they just maybe aren't trusting God enough in the situation. Now, I mean, even speaking for myself, when I try to do it on my own, uh, that's when my fuse can be a lot shorter and, and it is a lot scarier. Like if it all comes down to me, I'm not ready for that. I have no idea what questions the person might ask next, but if I'm entrusting it to God, well, that's a different story. I can, I can kind of breathe and hopefully the answers that I give will be, uh, a lot calmer and a lot more rational than, than if I were in a panicky mode of kind of operating out of a place of fear. Yeah. We're talking today with Joe Hashmeyer. He blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. And I want to explore this a little bit more because we we often think that uh, the whole argument, uh, the whole interaction with this person depends on us in this moment. Uh, and we don't take a long view of it. So going back to this metaphor of, of a seed that's being planted, uh, Paul talks about, well, one person plants and another person waters and another person harvests, but God's the one who brings the increase. And, you know, I, in my Protestant days, I saw this as well, this idea that I have to completely convert this person in this moment, because if they don't pray that prayer before I'm done, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to them? 
Uh, and we see that play out in our discussions, uh, whatever the topic, whether it be political or religious uh, or, or based on, you know, whatever it is that, that gives us uh, passion, man, I have to complete this and, and completely convince them right now, or it's never going to happen. And that I think is just really short-sighted and a little bit of a, a foolish view. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good distinction to make, um, St. Paul talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so if we recognize that this isn't like me fighting you on this topic, but like me contributing, planting a seed or watering a seed or something else that's much bigger than me, that's not really about me versus you. But if you want to put it this way, God versus the devil for your soul, or you know what I mean? Like for both of our souls, uh, then we have a totally different kind of standard to judge everything by. And it doesn't matter if I don't get the, uh, the stats next to my name, you know, like it doesn't matter if I get the RBI rather than the run or, you know, like right. maybe you don't ever see the, for those the that don't know, that's, that a, that's a baseball metaphor. Uh, you, you're, you're... Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. So my point is like, uh, I mean, if you want to make like a hockey metaphor, no, like, you know, like there's all sorts of ways that you can, uh, you can enable someone or assist them and you provide something along the way that maybe you don't even see the results of it. Um, I'm always struck when you talk to people about their conversion story, here's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. Like when they tell you about the people who were tremendously influential for them, like years before they actually converted, just think like how many of those people even know, like how many of them even realize that they've made this big impact uh, in the lives of somebody else? Uh, A friend of mine is now, I believe, a priest in St. Louis. He used to be a teacher and he had a student who was just like awful in high school. Uh, And then they met years later. And the student had, had become pro-life and, and through these like incredible circumstances, his wife had become pro-life. She actually died because she wouldn't have an abortion. Mm. I mean, it was like a crazy kind of wild situation. And he'd planted seeds on a kid that he'd basically internally given up on. Yeah. Like he was convinced that I'm, I'm having no effect on this kid. He's mouthing off to everything I say. He, he doesn't believe this is the Catholic teaching at all, et cetera. Right. And it was it was an incredible seed that was planted. So you know you don't you don't know what's a success or a failure until death. Well, and, and let's go just really quickly. I, I want to touch on this. Uh, not only do you not know about that person, but people around us who are connected, uh, they're watching us. And if if we dismiss that person and we treat them uh, with with rudeness or with with hostility, not only have we lost them but we've also lost the people who love them, right? We're, we're not just saying, oh, well, that guy was a jerk. Now they're saying, oh man, those Catholics, those people are jerks and they don't care about us and they only care about their belief. And the truth is, is that our belief is at the service uh, of the truth. And, and the truth wants the person more than it wants us to be right in any given argument. Absolutely. Uh, the thing you said about how like, we may not know that we're ambassadors for Christ to use the, the phrase that St. Paul uses, mm-hmm. but we are, and we're either good or bad ambassadors. Um, I was struck by this because my wife and I live in the Midwest, but my wife is from California. And so when she tells people that like 
her mom is one of 17 kids and all of them are practicing Catholics and her and all of her siblings are practicing Catholic. Like <laughs> it turns out a lot of people in the Midwest have very strong beliefs about what Californians are like uh, <laughs> that are not entirely accurate. And, and then it's like, okay, so why do they have those beliefs? And it's like, okay, well, number one, the media, what do they right. see on TV? And number two, they probably met a handful of people from California that confirm the stereotype. Right. Well, now apply that to religion. What's the media saying about Catholicism? And you don't want to be the one or two people uh, confirming a negative stereotype. You'd want to be the person who, like my wife, caused people to say, huh, I didn't know, you know, good people came from there. Or I didn't know. <laughs> how How is this even possible? You know, I experienced the same thing when I moved out to, to Seattle. I had a very specific view of what it was going to be like in the Pacific Northwest. And I found it to be much... Uh, you know, there, there's still some things that I would expect, but it's much less severe than the caricature that I'd built up in my mind based on uh, the the representation that had been presented to me. Yeah, I just imagine like Austin hipsters, but wet all the time because it's just <laughs> always raining. We're, we're going to continue this conversation right after the break with Joe Heschmeyer. Uh, go take a look at his blog, shamelesspopery.com. There's much more to this conversation as we dig into the question of charity next What's our responsibility, not only to the truth, but to Christ in, in representing him before others? Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Balls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL, and uh, we are talking today with our good friend, Joe Heschmeyer. He's been on the show multiple times. If you want to hear his other episodes, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Scroll down on that on that uh, right-hand side, and you'll find his name. And all when you click his name, all of those various and sundry episodes will pop up for your listening pleasure. Joe, thanks for joining us again today. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we're talking today about uh, our our responsibility in conversation with other people to represent the faith well, uh, and not just to a phrase that we've used often, not just win the argument, but win the person. Uh, and so what, what I want to dig into a little bit right now is this question of charity. You see charity thrown around uh, in discussions when a person is offended. Well, that's not a very charitable thing to say. Uh, what they really mean is, um, I don't, I didn't like, uh, your conclusion there uh, instead of really what charity is. So let's define charity uh, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah. So charity is desiring the good of the other. It is, um, Aquinas would say it's a form of friendship. It's like the maximal form of friendship. Um, and so you're desiring the other person's authentic good. Like if you think about it this way, everything you've ever done has been in pursuit of some kind of good and, uh, your good actions authentically found the good in that situation. Your bad actions either pursued, pursued something that, that looked good or seemed good or felt good, but wasn't really good or else, uh, chose a lower good over a higher good. That's like just moral theology in a nutshell. Right. And so charity is wanting for the other person uh, what God wants 
for them and what they, if they understood their own good, would want for themselves. So in that situation, we have, uh, it brings to mind the, the story of uh, Nathan the prophet and David the king. And David the king, uh, Nathan the prophet held no punches. He went in and he told the king exactly what was what, uh, even though it was, you know, a little bit brash. But he did so in a way that was not interested so much in proving the king wrong and getting a zinger in, uh, but was really concerned with what's going to be the most effective means at bringing about restoration for this person. Yeah, what's so interesting about it, so Nathan has uh, even self-interest probably on the line. He's got to stand up to the king. So he has every desire to uh, present this as humbly and as charitably as he possibly can. And the result is it works. Uh, he he presents this parable, and David is outraged when he hears about the conduct of the man in the parable. And then Nathan's able to say, you are that man. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a few things going on there. Number one, like he's approaching with humility. Right. Number two, he's actually securing uh, David's conversion. Like David repents when he realizes that Nathan is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but number three, he's helping David find the answer rather than just telling him or like beating him over the head with what he thinks the answer is. Mm -hmm. You know, I I look at this in the light of the rule of St. Benedict. It's something that my family reads over and over. And St. Benedict kind of just beats uh, the, the, the dead horse saying, you have to be humble. You have to consider yourself nothing. And you kind of look at this and go, well, that doesn't really fit really well in today's society. I mean, if I were to just go around thinking that I'm nothing, how is that different than depression or, 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 you know, what is this supposed to be? And eventually he gets to the place with once you realize that, that you yourself have nothing to be proud of, then within you, the Holy Spirit can begin to work and you find your value in Christ. Yeah, I think it's so crucial. You know, we talked in the earlier segment about like whether we make evangelization or conversations about the faith about God or about us. Like who's in the driver's seat and whose honor and glory are we trying to secure? Right. Uh, because we're either doing it for the glory of God or for the glory of us. And it's easy for both of those motives to creep in. But we got to keep a watch at the door for that self-love. Um, someone on Facebook recently made, I think, a very good point, which is that one of the ways you can see it in yourself is how upset you get uh, if you're insulted by the other person. So if the other person isn't being kind, if they're not being charitable even, uh, and they say something rude about you or they assume the worst, etc., cetera, uh, do you kind of get more upset about the loss of your own reputation than the loss of God's or the, the errors they have about God. Like those are good kind of uh, litmus tests, if you will, to just say like, okay, where am I on this? Cause it's right. really easy, very natural to, to let ego creep in and with it um, all sorts of kind of intruding, interfering emotions and, and they block out humility and reliance on God. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He blogs over at shamelesspopery.com. You know, I look at this and I think about it from the aspect of a parent. And I don't mean this to be condescending and I don't want you to take 
uh, as a listener, I don't want you to to think that you can take this into a condescension place. Uh, but when my child comes and he's having a disagreement with me and he's upset that I have instructed him to do a thing or other, and he pulls out the best little zinger he can, well, I don't like you right now. Well, you, you know what? I, I don't get very angry about that because I know that he's reacting from a place of uh, of frustration, of feeling uh, a power imbalance, of whatever the case may be. And it's not about me in that moment. It's about bringing him to a place where he can receive what's good for him. And I think the same is true yeah. when, when we get offended online. We, no one can offend you unless you allow yourself to be offended. Uh, someone comes and says something rude about you on the Internet well, if we're starting from a place of humility of realizing that any good that we have comes from God anyway, uh, we can look at them and say, you know, you're probably right about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'll be the first to say, I have not gotten there. Like, I have not <laughs> uh, purified myself of everything that we're talking about in terms of the residual ego, the desire for uh, kind of that self-preservation in an unhelpful way. Now, I mean, I should say this. Like there is a, a holy uh, desire to protect one's reputation. Right. So, you know, if, if someone's online accusing you of like unspeakable crimes, you're not called in charity to just stay mum and, and let your name and, and the name of those around you be besmirched. You, you can stand up in justice and defend your rights, just like you can defend your rights in justice to mm. anything else. Right. The issue is that with reputation – more than, you know, how much you're owed financially or any of these other things, there can be this kind of subjective element. And everyone is a great lawyer for themselves in their own mind. Uh, so we can overvalue the, uh, the degree of honor owed to us in a way that, that easily runs into, into pride. Humility isn't about, like, pretending you're less than you really are. Like, that's a false humility. Humility is ultimately... Uh, correlated with the truth it's recognizing who we are but who we are as creatures and who we are as fallen creatures and if we see that lowliness and own it not in a not in an unhealthy like self-loathing way but in a really liberating way then it doesn't matter if you've made mistakes it doesn't matter if like though you know you had some grammatical error in your theological arguments that your <laughs> opponent is only too happy to call out or and that's okay like Rejoice and be glad because your master was found worthy to to suffer much worse. And if you get to follow even a tiny bit in his footsteps, uh, that's something that should be a cause for rejoicing. Yeah. You know, there's this uh, passage of scripture that I don't know precisely where it is, but you are going to be able to tell me right away. I be well, no pressure. No, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. You got to put that seminary education to uh, to use here. Uh, we're we're told. If someone is sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you you should hang back and pray for them, but don't get all up in their business, right? Uh, and and there's this idea that we see something in someone else, and gosh, by golly, we want not their good, their eternal good. We want to call them on the carpet because it feels good to put someone in their place. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I believe that you're describing a passage from uh, either first, no, James, I believe it's James 4, James 5, where he has the distinction between mortal and venial sin. Right. And he talks about that sin that leads to death. So, yeah, there are times where 
the the appropriate response is not to uh, pick every nit. You know, like it, I think there's a few things to to recognize here. First, I mentioned like winning the person, not the argument. Mm-hmm. We can sometimes get obsessed with making sure that like the theology quiz is going to be an A plus and not like an A minus. <laughs> but if you've got a person who is like, uh, basically I'm just saying, figure out where the person is and help figure out like what might God be calling them to in that next step or even better, help them see what step God might be calling them to. And don't freak out if they don't have all of the steps charted out or if they're still making some mistakes. You know, you, you do have to sort of know how to pick your battles. Right. Uh, and it's not condoning evil to not correct every fault in another person. Right. Uh, well, and so let's take Nathan, for example, again. Nathan, uh, the prophet, as he was talking to King David, uh, he did address the issue, right? He didn't just let that thing go because it was, it was important enough. Uh, but as, as James is telling us, let's take a look at what really does matter in this situation. Are they doing something that is putting their soul in jeopardy? And is now the appropriate time? Are they able, you know, if they're at square one, we shouldn't be talking about square five, uh, right? Are they in a place where they can receive what we have to say so that, that they can make progress? I had a, a friend of mine who, uh, when I was growing up, used to say, Rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. So not only do th- is this an important enough topic to bring up, but am I the person from whom they're going to receive this discussion and this correction? Or should I spend time in prayer asking that God sends someone that they trust to be able to have this? Or should I take time to develop that relationship so that I can be the person to speak into their life? Yeah, those are really good questions. I just want to say those are really hard questions. Those are questions when you go to act, you're often not going to know whether you're doing the right thing on those questions. You're often not going to know, um, is this person asking this in good faith? Do I have enough of a relationship with them, et cetera? And so many things can play in to want to cloud your vision. You know, in a a concern about losing the relationship or the friendship, you know, especially with like a loved one where you say, well, I want them to still feel comfortable in my house. I don't want to cut off that whole relationship or that whole side of the family. All of those things can play in, in a way where we can easily fall into a spirit of fear. Um, And on the other side, you can have that desire to just like want to be right. And you have to somehow, and I think you can only do this with prayer. Somehow, Shut those voices out long enough to hear where God is calling you mm-hmm. in the midst of all of the hazards, in the midst of all the fears that, that you are discerning. We're talking today with Joe Heschmeyer. He's got a new book coming out on our Sunday Visitor Press. It's uh, it's still in the works, but be looking for it because it's going to be fantastic. Uh, join us online as the uh, conversation continues. Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And as always, there's more to my conversation with Joe available to those who support the show through Patreon. We'll give you more information about that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We talk today with Joe Heschmeyer, one of my favorite guests, one of our uh, many-time recurring guests, about what it is that we owe to one another, specifically when we disagree with one another. Uh, if you've spent any time on social media whatsoever, you know that it can be a little bit of a dicey place where when disagreement occurs, it generally occurs with uh, some extra passion and sometimes with a lack of true charity. And so we talked about what is it that we owe to one another uh, when we have disagreements. It's a great conversation. I encourage you, if you've missed any part of it or you want to share it with your friends, go on over to OutsideTheWalls.com where we have all of our archives, including this specific episode. We also, as always, have more to the conversation than we have time to air here on the show. But that extra segment is available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. So while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, look up in the top right-hand corner of that website, and there you'll find a link that says Support the Show. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us stay on the air week in and week out and get extra content each and every week uh, as a bonus and gratitude for your support. Join that community over there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history as we further explore this question of what it is that we owe to one another, specifically when we disagree. Our reading from Scripture today comes from tomorrow's Gospel from Mass, uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus proposed a parable to the crowds. The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While everyone was asleep, his enemy came and sowed weeds all through the wheat and then went off. When the crop grew and bore fruit, the weeds appeared as well. The slaves of the household came to him and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. His slave said to him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? He replied, No. If you pull up the weeds, you might uproot the wheat along with them. Let them grow together until harvest. Then at harvest time, I will say to the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles for burning, but gather the wheat into my barn. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and I really identify with the servants in this story because they are they know what it's supposed to look like. They know what the field is supposed to look like when good seed has been sown. They know what a good harvest is supposed to look like as it develops. And here, every day, they're going out and they're seeing something that's not quite right, and it's a little bit nerve-wracking. There's a on social media, there's this thing that goes around from time to time. It kind of makes the rounds. And it's this picture of people doing things incorrectly. So it goes along like they'll cut out a piece of cake, and then the second piece of cake that they cut just ruins the whole scheme. And so it, now it can't be salvaged and it's not symmetrical. Or they'll show. <laughs> Uh, maybe they're cutting out a piece of paper and they're cutting out like a, the outline of someone's hand and then uh, and then they just really quit following the lines and and everything that they do is just a little bit off and it, it it's really kind of nerve-wracking to watch because we know what it should be and they are not 
doing it, right? They're, they're doing this just to make me mad. Well, this is what happens with these servants. They're going out and they know what the field is supposed to look like. And it doesn't look that way. And so their OCD kicks in just a little bit, just like with that video that we were talking about. And they want to go and write it and correct it and make it proper. And they even offer to do this. But the master says to them, no, we're going to let it, we're going to let it grow because I want to make sure that we don't damage what's good by trying to pull up what's bad. We often in our disagreements get really, really uptight about correcting the smallest minutia of an argument. Uh, And what's incumbent for us is to sit back, to trust the master, to humble ourselves and to wait like Mary did at Jesus' feet in humility to say, you know what? This is really uh, a, a nervous thing for me. I don't like letting this thing sit out there uncorrected and unfixed. And yet, the, the master's will is so important to me. And his desire for the fullness of the harvest, that everything proper to be harvested is preserved and protected so that it can be harvested. Because of that, uh, I'm going to lay down my own will. I'm going to, to, to deal with the, um, the twitches in my OCD and I'm going to let these things grow together. It's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Uh, more so, I think, for the idea than it is uh, for if it were an actual field because there's something in us that we are convinced of the truth and to see someone else persisting in something that we are convinced is wrong is very difficult. And it takes the utmost humility and discernment to know when it's appropriate to speak up and when it's appropriate to just let it be. And I encourage you and I pray for us all that we would be given that discernment. To help us with that discernment today, I want to read a reading from St. Clement that came up in the breviary probably about two, three weeks ago. The command has been written cling to the saints. For those who cling to them will be sanctified. There is a passage in Scripture as well which states, With the innocent man you will be innocent, and with the chosen one you will be chosen also. Likewise, with the perverse you will deal perversely. Devote yourselves then to the innocent and the just. They are God's chosen ones. Why are there strife and passion, schisms, and even war among you? Do we not possess the same spirit of grace which was given to us and the same calling in Christ? Why do we tear apart and divide the body of Christ? Why do we revolt against our own body? Why do we reach such a degree of insanity that we forget that we are members of one another? Do not forget the words of Jesus our Lord. Woe to that man! It would be better for him if he had not been born rather than scandalize one of my chosen ones. Indeed, it would be better for him to have a great millstone round his neck and to be drowned in the sea than that he lead astray one of my chosen ones. Your division has led many astray, has made many doubt, and made many despair, and has brought grief upon us all. And still... Your rebellion continues. 
pick up the letter of blessed Paul the Apostle. What did he write to you at the beginning of his ministry? Even then you had developed factions. So Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote to you concerning himself and Cephas and Apollos. But that division involved you in less sin because you were supporting apostles of high reputation and a person approved by them. We should put an end to this division immediately. Let us fall down before our master and implore his mercy with our tears. Then he will be reconciled to us and restore to us the practice of brotherly love that befits us. For this is the gate of justice that leads to life, as it is written, Open to me the gates of justice. When I have entered there, I shall praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The just shall enter through it. There are many gates which stand open, but the gate of justice is the gateway of Christ. All who enter through this gate are blessed, pursuing their way in holiness and justice, performing all their tasks without discord. A person may be faithful. He may have the power to utter hidden mysteries. He may be discriminating in the evaluation of what is said and pure in his actions. But the greater he seems to be, the more humbly he ought to act, and the more zealous he should be for the common good rather than for his own interest. That reading comes from St. Clement's letter to the Corinthians. What do we owe to one another when we disagree? We owe one another unity in the bond of love. This is a very difficult thing because we each have that thing that we're passionate about, that we have uh, maybe a deep knowledge about. But as St. Clement said there in the ending, all of these things, all of our knowledge, all of the gifts of the Spirit that we have, all of these things have to be subjected to the will of God. All of these things have to be exercised in humility. And so let's ask this week, as we are faced with many opportunities to argue, as we're faced with many opportunities to go into comboxes and set people straight and tell them what for because someone is wrong on the internet, this is our opportunity to turn to Christ and say, Christ, help me to exercise the virtue of humility. Help me to see you in the other person, even if I disagree with their argument. Help me to give them the honor that I would give to you so that I can choose the better part and so that it won't be taken from me. This week, let us seek out the presence of Jesus Christ. Let us sit at his feet like Mary, both in the Eucharist, take some time to go to Eucharistic adoration, but also to recognize him in those who are around us, that whatever we do to those that are around us, the least of these, that we would see that we're doing it also to Christ. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by a new patron, Joseph Roberts, and all those who support the show through Patreon. Join our community of supporters by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking that support the show link in the top right-hand corner. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.